Welcome to Telling the Tale, Episode 2. This week, we're covering Sam and Max Save the World, Episode 2, Situation Comedy. I'm your host, Mitchell Wolf, and I'm here with Dustin Jackson. Hey, Dustin, what's up? Hey, what up, Slapshot? I'm doing pretty good here. Slapshot, okay. That's like a hockey, <laughs> that's a hockey word. That's kind of a hockey reference. What you been into lately? Um, surprisingly not hockey. Yeah, what was that? Was that just like a fun hockey thing you had in your head? Yeah, it was just kind of this fun hockey thing. I have no connection to hockey, but just thought I'd try it out. Okay. Hockey is a sport that I could imagine, like, in an alternate universe where I played sports getting into. I I could see myself getting into hockey. I'm kind of the same way. I'm not really a sports guy. I'm not one who sports, but if I were, I feel like hockey would probably be one of my go-tos. Yeah, I thought that about hockey, and I feel that about baseball. I don't feel that way about soccer or basketball or football, almost at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, other sports. Yeah. Nothing other, personal. Other sports, you make me run too much. That's the, I think that's the <laughs> thing. I don't want to run. Uh, hey, that's a, good, that's a good enough reason. <laughs> as you can assuredly tell, this is telling the tale a Telltale Games podcast where we'll be playing through all 140 of Telltale's episodes recounting what they were able to produce before their closure in 2018. And by the way, if this is your first episode that you're, lis- uh, that you're listening to, that's kind of weird because there's only one previous episode. Might as well listen to that. But good thing I caught you because Telling the Tale is now on all major podcasting delivery apps. We're on Apple what? Podcasts. That's right, Dustin. This is a big advancement for us. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music and Audible and TuneIn with Alexa. We're on Spotify. We're on Podbean. And if you go to our Podbean page, Podbean is our home, and you find our feed URL, which I don't have offhand, so you'll just have to do some detective work. Uh, <laughs> if you find it, you can put that in any podcatcher, even if they don't have us listed, and subscribe to us that way. So, we're pretty much the real deal now. Last week, we were a deal. I don't know how real it was, but we're a real deal now. Yeah, I guess uh, being able to actually listen to it is the biggest advancement you can have for a podcast. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, last week, when we put the first episode out, and... Uh, It was published and hosted online and everything. Uh, I was so proud of myself. And then a friend of mine goes, so where can I listen to it? And I go, ugh, right now? No. Ah, (laughs) jeez. And this is not my first podcast. I've been podcasting for like six years. And still, that (laughs) that was something that I was like, oh, yeah, I gotta get it out there somehow, huh? (laughs) But in the last week, it has been out there. So now please search for the Telltale, Telling the Tale podcast. Subscribe. And if you can, if the app that you're on has the ability to do so, please leave a comment. Please leave a rating. All of that helps us get the word out about what we're doing here. Also, also, Dustin, I didn't tell you about this, but here's a little surprise. <laughs> um, I got a DM on Twitter. Wow. From, from Congratulations. Someone... <laughs> Thank you. From someone who would like to remain anonymous, but was involved with Telltale before they closed. Oh, wow. Um, And they just said, hey, I listened to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. 
that that kind of vibe and that was really nice and it reminded me that these people that were sort of making the show about their 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 work um exist <laughs> out there and it wasn't that long ago when they closed so they might be listening to the show uh so if you found this and you are a former telltale employee of any position um uh, hi why not why not get in touch with us we'd love to talk to you about anything and everything about telltale we would yeah even dust thank you for reminding me that they exist i forgot it is easy to forget with a with a company <laughs> like telltale but here we are let's get into the episode huh okay okay so as we said before this is sam and max save the world also known as sam and max season one episode two situation comedy um I wish they just said sitcom, but I get why. <laughs> just the title of I'm... this is is weird to me because like it's it seems like it's a pun on something, but that's just what sitcom is. Like just you know word. what? I'm gonna be perfectly honest. That never once occurred to me that it's that the title means sitcom. I it just never. Occurred to me, it, it just read to me like, you know, a cool uh, ca- name for a case, situation, comedy. And now I feel really uh, stupid. So let's <laughs> pretend like I, let's pretend like I did know that. Okay. <laughs> no, maybe. It's like a sitcom. Maybe my, in that case, maybe my criticism was off base. Maybe it's a little more clever than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that because I prefer that to the alternative, which is I'm not as clever as I thought. So the first episode that we covered last week, that launched on October 17th, 2006, and this launched on December 20th, 2006. So a month and, or sorry, two months and three days after the first episode. And right around Christmas too, and there's no Christmas references in the episode at all. Well, we'll get to that in the future. Yeah, there there will be a Christmas related thing, but not this time. Which makes me think that this episode was maybe delayed. Maybe it was only supposed to be a month. I don't remember if they promised monthly releases back when this game was first publicized. Do you remember? Yeah, I I was just thinking that like I th- maybe at the time they hadn't said that because later on they did kind of settle into that one episode per month, and th- even that's crazy. It's crazy having a whole episode of a game each month. Yeah. Like I I think even this like 2 months later, even that's crazy, but they just uh you know, got into the habit. They just were able to pump these out a lot faster. The uh okay, so we have some credit specs for this episode. We've got Brendan Q Ferguson and Dave Grossman again getting the writing/designing credits for this episode, but this time also joining them is Jeff Lester new a, a new voice a new writer for the for the series joining on this episode he wasn't there for the first one so that's interesting cool. um and, and that makes me that makes me wonder as well um if these people actually were joining episode per episode or if the groups of writers and designers for each episode were already decided well in advance of those episodes happening like if it was pre-planned or if they just if if it was off the cuff basically yeah because like with a tv show 
you'll see that they have like in front of the season filming every episode has a director already sort of figured out um so i'm wondering if that's how they did for this or if jeff lester is actually just joining on this episode and culture shock from last week was a pilot that they sort of produced before producing the rest of the season that would be interesting so so i'm not sure how it worked for this season but i know um they said for like the walking dead games that they wouldn't write the next episode until I'm I'm sure they had kind of a broad outline, but um, they wouldn't start writing the next episode until the first episode was out. And then they would base what happens based on like uh, people's reactions based on the choices they make. Um, So if I were to guess, I would say I, this game doesn't feel like it comes across that way here, but I would probably guess that it worked similar where they would they wouldn't start writing until after. But I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't make that call. <laughs> I I think that is the most stressful sounding position to be in ever. That you need to just yeah. come out with an entire game. Although it, it it is admittedly much shorter than most games, but in in a 2 month span, that's that's wild. It, it, it is pretty wild, but I think it probably helps that they can reuse a lot of assets from month to month. A lot, but like we're going to be talking about what happens in this episode. There's a lot of really novel concepts, new character models, um, new settings that are yeah. just completely disposable. They're used in this episode and then not in the past and not again in the future. So, <laughs> So without further ado let's get into it dustin what did you think of this episode i like this episode a lot actually i i don't know where i would rank this um in terms of the season but i i think it has lots of funny lines and i just think uh the overall idea of this episode um a, a big chunk of this episode has you going to different sets of different shows i think that's a very fun idea lots of uh potential there i don't think a lot of the puzzles in it are particularly uh you know challenging head scratchers um but i just think the idea of it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of when we get to our favorite lines list i'm gonna have to pick because i wrote a bunch down <laughs> i will also have a, a number of favorite lines to go through but i have one that i know is my favorite line um, I do I do as well. I had okay. one in particular. Um I didn't like it as much, Dustin. I'm sorry. I did I don't know. I didn't I the, thought this the, was uh definitely not as good as the first episode. That's okay, Mitch. I know that's just how you are sometimes. Sometimes you like things and sometimes you don't like things as much. It's it's like you know me. It's like you know me, Dustin. Um I've grown to accept it. Do you like this more or less than the first episode yourself? I don't know. See, that I'm not sure of. That I really need to think about, because I feel like, overall, I think this episode was funnier than the first one, um, but I feel like the first one just really works as, at getting you uh, getting you started with this world, with this story, and I feel like, because of that, this one doesn't really have that much that's, like... I don't know, new, I guess. You're so used to it. You're used to how it works. You get it by now. 
And because of that, this feels like, oh, this is just another one, which is good. But the first one makes a pretty strong impression when you first play it. Yeah, I I think the first one has a a much better sense of mystery when you're going through like, okay, why are the soda poppers, soda poppers, soda poppers? That's fun. The soda poppers. It's the soda poppers. (laughs) Why are the soda poppers here? Why are they hypnotized? What is hypnotizing them? What's Brady Culture's whole thing? How do we get back at Brady Culture? And then, like, it culminates in a boss battle. And this episode sort of has that. I guess let's explain. There is the Myra show, which is loosely based maybe on Oprah or Ellen DeGeneres' show or, like, a daytime talk show. Exactly. Just in general, the concept. Yeah, and she's giving her audience a lot of free gifts, which is definitely taken from Oprah. Um, But also, she's not letting her audience leave, and they've been there for days at a time. So she's (laughs) holding them hostage. Uh, Sam and Max get hired to go figure out what's up there, and then they get to the, uh, the TV studio. They try to go into uh, Myra's area, and hi- all sorts of hijinks ensue. But basically, the backbone of the of this episode is that Sam and Max need to try their luck at different TV shows, hosting and starring in different TV shows, in order to get famous enough to guest star on the Myra show. So that they can get close enough to her to figure out their whole situation. Uh, how was that? Was that close? Was that was that a, a solid synopsis? I would have thought you wrote on the back of the episode itself. <laughs> um, so there, there's not a whole lot of mystery there, I'd say, and I think that it might be what I'm responding to. I feel that. I I can agree. You sort of know that Myra is hypnotized into keeping her audience there forever. And you, at the very end of the episode, find out that what's hypnotizing her and keeping her in that state is this toy bear. But you don't even really figure out what the toy bear is up with, like, this episode. That's next episode. We're going to find out next next time we play an episode of the Sam and Max game. So we we just, like, get her out of the trance, and that's the end of the episode. And because there's sort of no turnaround, it feels really short to me. And it doesn't just feel short. I actually clocked it. Last episode, Culture Shock, I had, I, I like, had a good memory of how to solve all the puzzles because... Back in the day, what my my favorite thing to do would be is to uh, just start playing a video game and then immediately stop um, because <laughs> I didn't have any kind of patience. So I had a few games that I really loved, like Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, or like Sam and Max, where I would play the first episode and then completely drop off. Do, do you ever do this? Like, um, No, but I like that that's your thing. Oh, okay. Uh, so well it it used to be it's not really my thing anymore now i finish my plate but i used to just start and stop and and like i really would want to play the beginnings of things uh so i i remember playing through culture shock a number of times and then i wouldn't get to situation comedy so 
this time I didn't know the solutions to the puzzles just off the top of my head. I actually had to refigure them out. I, I didn't remember any of them. Um, wow. And <laughs> I know. It, what, a, what a special occasion for me. But it <laughs> took... It, the whole episode took less than two hours, which is a significant shorter amount of time than the first episode, which I did know the solutions to the puzzles for. Um, so this is definitely a smaller episode in in general the scope is lower i kind of feel that too and i guess it didn't bother me since the first episode kind of has to make that strong first impression i guess episode two they were like okay well if these guys are going to stick around then we got them so i guess there was less pressure on it they could get right into the uh the plot of the matter while the first episode was kind of it had to take a little time to set things up uh, so I thought a good way that we could handle um, going through this episode and, and detailing sort of what happens and our thoughts on it would be to isolate each of the shows that Sam and Max have to star on, how you get into them, and how you how you sort of figure them out. Wow, um, you got a whole roadmap. I got a whole roadmap. Uh, so the first thing that you'll do once you get to the tv studio is you'll find out that it's blocked by a woman who is known only as the director she doesn't have a name <laughs> and she is the director and stagehand and producer of every show at the studio she there's there are no other people running these shows except her uh She's except so myra's show myra's show is where all of the cool people are because that's wait wait that's not true though Oh, that's not she true. Said, yes, she says to Sam and Max that uh, the stagehands are trapped at Myra's show. Right. Oh, okay. Okay, so... So she she has to do everything herself right now, but... that Okay, that, that's a fair that's a fair truth. All truth yeah, don't worry. I, I won't hold it against you. Okay. So, <laughs> um, you need to recreate a scene from Old Yeller in order to get into uh mid midtown cowboys you need to be casted in midtown cowboys which is the <laughs> sitcom of this area it's a it's a fun sitcom about some cattle farmers living in uptown manhattan and the cow is not allowed in their apartment, but it is there. Oh, no. So you can imagine the hilarity. <laughs> uh, so they need to recreate a scene from Old Yeller. They do that by applying shaving cream to Max's face to look like he has rabies. and Sam's face. Sorry, Sam's face. You're right. To look like Sam has rabies because he's a dog. And they need to shoot the tear gas grenade launcher that you have from the first episode, which I really liked that you still have that. Uh, it creates a nice sense of cohesiveness. You need to shoot that at Max so he cries. And that's how you yeah, get that's cast. something I like. That's something I like about this whole season. I like having uh, items kind of carry over. It's it's nice that even though you're done with that episode, the usefulness of certain items doesn't go away. Yeah, that's true. It, especially, I I can imagine that at the time being a huge sense of relief because there was the 1993 Sam and Max game and then nothing until 2006 
So to see two different Sam and Max games already within the space of two months making a clear connection between the two, like we will go forward with this series. It's a promise. Uh, that's great. I think that's a that's a really nice thing to see. I agree. So you get cast in Midtown Cowboys and there's a wonderful little theme song for the show. <laughs> that goes They're probably hiding a cow. <laughs> yeah. It only has one line in it, but it is they're probably hiding a cow. And I love that the are. line is they're they're probably hiding a cow. It's not committed to it, but there's a good chance. <laughs> yeah, they, they might be. Um, <laughs> the, the the omniscient narrator is not sure if there's a cow in that apartment. <laughs> I guess we'll find out together. So you can deal with the puzzle of shooting a, an episode of Midtown Cowboys in one of two ways. Uh, the, it, it's actually... It, it leaves the option open for you, the player, to choose which way you want to do it. All you need to do is get Max to say, you better use the serious toothpaste. <laughs> There's a lot of references to dentistry in this season already. Have you noticed that? I didn't notice. I what, what are some of the other ones? I just remember that one. Were there any in the first episode? Yeah. You need to prove that you have a violent reaction to dentistry. Um, that's right that's right in order to prove that you have alternative personality disorder yeah so just it's a recurring thing i guess you're blowing my mind with this you're making me see sam and max in a whole new light i'm definitely going to keep an eye out now for any future references to dentistry and why (laughs) like why why that would be (laughs) a thing max has big teeth i guess maybe that's the thing that's true that had occurred to me. That I'm on board with. The joke is his teeth is big. So it's a pretty good joke. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Yeah. So you can either put the shaving cream that you already used on the cow and it'll give the cow a beard. And then your landlord, who is a chicken played by Philo Pennyworth, uh, but <laughs> your, the landlord in the canon of the show is named Mr. Featherly. He comes in is completely fooled by the disguise of shaving cream you put on the cow. Or you can put a lampshade on the cow's head, make it look like a chef's hat. So it's either a person with a beard or a person with a chef's hat. Uh, It still looks like a cow. Completely looks like a cow. Wouldn't fool anyone. But even in the world of Sam and Max, this guy is a bad actor. um, Who is... (laughs) very sure he's a good actor which one did you go with did you do the the shaving cream or the hat i was gonna ask you that exact same question but since you got to it first i will answer first i did the chef's hat i also did the chef's hat but i did another version with the shaving cream and i actually couldn't figure out how to solve it maybe you have to do the chef's hat but it lets you get to that point at least with the shaving cream like maybe the shaving cream doesn't let you progress any farther since you can't progress the joke or the scene. Yeah, um, if you if you put the chef's hat on and say this cow is a French chef, and then you put a plate under a cow pie and make the landlord eat the cow pie. Oh, oh, ooh, ooh. What, what what a what a brilliant two thousand six joke. 
That's uh, when you start laughing. That is when you start, uh, and and you don't stop. You just don't. You just keep going. <laughs> Uh, then the landlord eats some of the cow pie and is completely fooled. And then Max says, better use the serious toothpaste. And your Woo! mission in <laughs> your mission in running the show is uh, is over. You've done it. You've filmed an episode of Midtown Cowboys. What does this get for you? Actually nothing. Uh, <laughs> I had to actually rewatch after I played this episode uh, a Let's Play of someone else doing it. Just to confirm, like, wait, do you actually get nothing from doing that? Uh, that whole leg of the episode? And all you get for it is later when you're talking to Myra in order to convince her that you should be on her show. Um, you just say, I, I'm on a show. And she just takes <laughs> your word for it. So, like, I, I know in the canon of the game, things are happening that are different than the mechanics of the game. But mechanically, you do the show and then you get allowed into Myra's show. But right, in, in it just canon, it just allows you to it just allows you to progress rather than like giving you anything in like your inventory. <laughs> yeah, but it, like in the universe of the show, even if you did a bad job at the sitcom, like that is apparently that that should be fine. You're on a show. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to be a good show. <laughs> Uh, let's see, there's three other shows around that you need to go through that are not Myra's show. So the the biggest one, I think, is Embarrassing Idol. Yeah. Yeah, tell me about Where Embarrassing meet... Idol. So, Embarrassing Idol, um, I don't know if you people listening uh, caught on to this or not, but it's a parody of American Idol, which is a TV show of some sort. So, um... We meet our good friends, the Soda Poppers, here. Uh, one of which, Peepers, is competing on uh, Embarrassing Idol. And the other two are the judges, Wizard and Specs. And you need to be on this Embarrassing Idol show uh, so you can get a recording contract, another thing required to get into Myra's show. Yeah, and there, there's sort of this... The joke that they're playing on Embarrassing Idol. By the way, all of these are seemingly satire of real <laughs> shows. Midtown Cowboys is just like any sort of Friends or Seinfeld or something. Um, Embarrassing Idol is American Idol. There's another thing that's basically Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And there's another thing that's any cooking show. And I don't, it seems like they're, they're being mean to these shows by saying, like, <laughs> these shows are okay, bad go. because of X, Y, and Z. Um, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure what their thesis statement on these shows is. Okay, okay. There, there was a, do you remember when American Idol was first popular and there was like a lot of seemingly weird debate-ish things about how um that was a bad sentence there, there was a lot of discourse i remember even as a kid about american idol sort of profiteering off of the embarrassment of really bad singers who think they are good um there was a movie called god bless america by bobcat goldthwaite uh have you seen that 
I have not seen it. I didn't even know that existed, let alone that it was made by Bobcat. Yeah, he he made a movie called God Bless America that culminates on stage at an episode of basically American Idol or X Factor or something like that. Um, and it it's very critical of the show putting up this this guy who clearly has down syndrome and clearly is a very bad singer and laughing at how bad of a singer he is and it like that i remember that movie um sort of trying to say like this is what we're doing with entertainment and i i didn't necessarily buy it at the time like i don't know if that <laughs> that's what i think that show's doing with entertainment especially because that's only like the first two episodes of any season of American Idol and then the remaining are like good singers actually competing against each other. And it's weird. Um, right. And this, this seems to be going at the same emotion here of like these shows are just preying on the emotional vulnerability of people trying to become uh, like pop singing stars. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't get it. I don't really understand that that impulse to to sort of criticize shows for that um or american idol specifically for that specific thing i guess i get that it's a bad thing to do it's you're you're preying on people who have hope and saying like isn't it embarrassing that these people think that they can do anything with their lives uh and that is a bad thing but it, it seems weirdly focused that there was so much discourse about that specific aspect of American Idol at the time. But I guess that's maybe just something that I probably won't be able to understand um, being so divorced from that time period. Like, I really can't put myself back in a 2006 state of, uh, frame of mind. I could, but I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bad time in general um but the soda poppers are there yeah yeah i guess uh i don't know it never occurred to me it just kind of uh all these shows to me just kind of struck me as um exaggerated um ridiculous takes on various shows such as american idol i guess i guess i it i just never thought of it as uh we are critiquing this thing we're doing a satire of this thing bringing attention to uh this bad thing about american idol i just thought it was taking an element of american idol and playing it up to 10 for humorous effect they are definitely also doing that but i think there's something with the other shows going for like the midtown cowboys whole premise is just so dumb it's just um yeah intentionally very very dumb that there could be a show like this and that seems to sort of be criticism of that format um in who's never going to be a millionaire it sort of that one's the weird one for me because i i I maybe don't understand that aspect of it at all that one um you have hubliss who is a l ron hubbard (laughs) sort of guy but really happy all the time um yeah promoting his book emetics which is about prismatology sam asked (laughs) sam asks hubliss to define emetics in 10 words or less and hubliss says 
Prismatology is the answer. Unicorns are pretty and rainbows too. Uh, which is a, <laughs> That sums it up. It's ten words. <laughs> yeah. He had four words done and he already was done. And so unicorns are pretty and rainbows too. Um, so he's actually just on set waiting to join the, the Myra show as a guest, which will become important later. But he uh, steps in to be the host of Who's Never Going to Be a Millionaire because they don't have anyone else. And Sam and Max uh, step in to be the contestant on Who's Never Going to Be a Millionaire also because they have no one else. And without tampering with it, like without trying to solve the puzzle, if you just play it through, Hubliss asks you something about if you're in the Horsehead Nebula... And your dad is in a different nebula of galaxies. And you get closer to each other at three times the speed of light. How long until it... How long until the time paradox causes yourself not to be born? And uh, I... First off, I don't think it works like that. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just... I, I'm not a science man. I... I don't have a degree in space, but I just don't think it would happen like that. But I don't Sam, think so. Sam says no as an answer to that, and that's not <laughs> the right answer. I wish uh, they had an answer to that. Like, even if it was complete bullshit, just to throw out a number, that'd be funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, the thing is, I'm not I'm not smart enough to call them out on it. I would just accept it as the answer. I'd be like, that sounds right. Yeah, no, if they said any number, I'd be like, wow, immediately, huh? Like one second? Seems <laughs> seems pretty fast. <laughs> Wowee. Science is amazing. <laughs> I never would have guessed. <laughs> um so just I guess the the joke there is it's a really, really hard question. All you need to do in order to win a million dollars on that show is answer one question correctly. Um, which I guess is kind of also the, the true nature of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Did you ever watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire growing up? Uh, a little bit. You know, it wasn't like a regular thing I watched, but I watched it enough to know uh, exactly how it works and everything about it. Yeah, uh, so there's 15 questions on the show, and each time you answer a question, you earn a little bit more money with uh, certain, like, shelves of money. Like, you keep the first $100 you get, then you keep the first $1,000 you get, and then you keep the first $100,000, and then you keep the first million you get if you answer all 15 questions. But really, only those last questions are ever hard. Uh, that that seems to be the thing about the show that is is static every time like only the ending questions are even a little bit difficult and then like getting you up there is really easy because it makes the the player at home think that they can get it because they're like i'm answering every question right so far of course i'm gonna keep going and then they throw just some ridiculous question at the end in order to to sort of get you off of the trail which is why no one won that show for like so many years the first few years of that show running no one got the million dollars right and uh every time i watch that i'm just thinking i would if i was smart enough to get that far 
I I don't know. <laughs> like I get the impulse to keep going. Yeah. But at some point you have to say, I'm good with just this like five hundred thousand dollars. I'm set for a long, long time, even just with this. Yeah, I mean that's that's the trick. They're they're trying to trick you. It, it's manipulative. They're saying like Yeah. If you've gotten one hundred thousand dollars, you've answered ten questions in a row, and you only need to answer five more. That's half of what you've done so far. You should be in the clear. But like the 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 truth is that the difficulty of each question is completely arbitrary up to what the producers of the show decided the difficulty of the questions should be. So you could be like blindsided immediately after you pass through the last um sort of barrier. And like I know this and still I know in my heart and my head that if I were on that show as a contestant, there is no way I would back down. <laughs> I, I would I would go to every question I could answer, and then I would probably lose right at the very end. Um, so you so you get it. You get where they're coming from when they keep going. Yeah. So I guess that m- maybe the one question "Who's never going to be a millionaire?" rules from Sam and Max is sort of a distillation of that process, but without any of the manipulation on it it's just like well it really does come down to one question whether or not you get a million dollars it's just you need to answer a bunch of other questions in the real shows first but in this one we we don't mess around with all of that pageantry (laughs) it's just just we're starting you at the end and it's still going to work in our favor most of the time i guess that's more fair there aren't really any stakes you don't like earn a bunch of money and then lose it all at the end you're told straight up if you get this one question right, you're a millionaire, so you got nowhere to go but up. It is a bad show. <laughs> That's true. I don't think I would watch it personally. Yeah, and I'm saying that both about this fake show and also Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I just, I don't like that show anymore. I I found out that it's still on the air. They're on their, like, fourth or fifth host. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. I thought it, I didn't even know they did game shows anymore. At all? I guess I just haven't watched TV that much. <laughs> Wait, you know there's like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and stuff all the time. Oh, well, I guess besides those. Stuff like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. The, I guess it just never occurred to me that it was still going or that there were like new ones. Interesting. Yeah, no, there's all, I, I feel there's like I feel like there was a period of, I feel like there was a period of time where there were like tons of game shows. Oh yeah, there had the early like 2000s. Weakest Link. Yeah. We- so I guess I I guess I just thought game shows kind of just stuck to that era and were replaced by the reality shows. Yeah, I remember when Deal or No Deal came to America, that was that was prime prestige television. People were excited about that. Um, about Deal or No Deal. Yeah, so I I I like that um this episode is based more in like a very specific point in time. You can really tell when they're talking about with the way they talk about television in this episode. The last episode seemed more evergreen. It's just yeah. it, culture shock is going to be about the same stuff. They say that the TV shows that these child stars are from were from the 70s, which is now probably too old for that to make sense. But it, like other than that, it's pretty timeless. This is very rooted in the specific period of time that it came out in. Yeah, and I kind of like that Sam and Max can kind of bounce between the two. Yeah. Um, 
The other show we haven't talked about yet that they go through is Cooking Without Looking. You don't need to solve this show. If you make anything, this show is good. Um, <laughs> but for Embarrassing Idol, there's three judges on the board. There's Max, who's always going to vote for you no matter what. There's Specs, who will vote for whoever can hit a high note. And there's Wizard, who's always going to vote for his brother no matter what. But in a, in a little shocking twist of events, if you talk to Wizard, you find out he's allergic to tomatoes. Ain't that, oh, ain't that no. always the thing? So if you make, how can you exploit this? And it's his birthday, so you really gotta <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put those two things together. Go to cooking without looking, make a cake, go back to the the street you work on, and go to Bosco's. Put the cake under the ketchup dispenser. That's a cake with ketchup on it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. So then you bring that cake to Wizard. He has to go to the bathroom. He says, time out for number two with a dramatic pause before the number two there. That's great. That's comedy. And then he leaves. So then the only judges are Max and Specs, which means that you can win if only you hit a high note and impress Specs. So you huff some helium and you win. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, The little song that Sam sings for that contest i love it it's so good it's great he should they should do a whole album of sam songs yeah he only just rhymes some nonsense phrases that end in the (laughs) syllable un and uh, yeah none of them connect no some of them don't even make sense individually (laughs) (laughs) uh i i want to put some maybe I'll, i'll put some uh sound bites from that at the end of this episode Maybe I'll do that. Or I might thank, forget. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch, depending on whether or not you do it. I'll forget. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you go through all those. Um, the millionaire gives you the million dollars, which you can use to pay for the helium at Bosco's. Uh, then the helium allows you to win Embarrassing Idol, which gives you a recording contract. Then if you take a picture with Hugh Bliss when he's green, you can look like you're with an alien, with which uh, is what Sybil's into these days. You want to talk about what Sybil's doing? So last week, Sybil was a licensed psychotherapist, but she's given that up. And this time she is a publisher for the Alien Love Triangle Times. Yeah, and they... Um... They they talk about it like this is an extreme downfall for the careers of Sybil. Like, this is way less classy than being a licensed psychotherapist. But honestly, <laughs> the way that she was doing psychotherapy, this seems to me like a very lateral move. Maybe an upgrade. Yeah, it's about on par. <laughs> yeah. um, so she she says, look, what I want is a picture of a love triangle with an alien. But I'll settle for any picture of three people where one of them is an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. Yeah, close enough. So you give her the picture with Hugh Bliss when he turns green. He can turn different colors. That's just a thing about him. He's sort of a magic man. He can do anything. He can teleport. He can read your mind. He can turn colors magically. That's the power of emetics, which is meant to be... Emetics is meant to be a parody of... Dianetics, which is what 
all of uh, Scientology's belief system is based on the book Dianetics. And right. um, so, so that seems to be another like pointed cultural jab in this episode at um, not just something that's going on in the society that people lived in, but something that was going on in the society around Hollywood specifically. So there, there's a lot of like Hollywood show business criticism in this episode and that seems pretty interesting but like i i don't know if it's it like it's it's starting the fight and then not bringing the punches it's like i i'm not (laughs) sure what they're trying to say by by saying these things and i think that might be the the biggest thing I, i i find lacking in this episode because later that that's the reason you don't like it as much as the first one you're saying i think so yeah because the first one um I, I think the first one doesn't really try to do anything like that. So maybe it's just less audacious. And as a result, it doesn't need to live up to any promises because there there's very few promises about what it's trying to, to cover in, in a literary sense. But this episode, right. it, it's trying to, at least the way I read it, which might, maybe I'm just reading into it too much. Very possible. But there's all of this television stuff. Television was a very prominent aspect of the first episode as well. And and they seem to be saying something about it. The game is being done in episodes, which at a time was not something that anyone had seen before. Like, this seems to be very purposeful. And then the punches they're throwing is like, American Idol is just about embarrassing people. And who wants to be a millionaire is hard. And sometimes sitcoms <laughs> are dumb and cooking shows are also sort of nothing. And like, that's, in, that's like not much. <laughs> that's just, you're not saying very much about it. Scientology is wacky. Is not like a criticism of Scientology. You know, <laughs> It's wacky. It is wacky, but like, it's just, that's all the, the game is doing right now. Right. And I, I can see where you're coming from. I guess it just never... See, you say you might be looking too hard into it. I wonder if I'm just not looking hard into it at enough. Because, I don't know, for me it just felt like, you know, poking a little fun at uh, different genres of television since that's the uh, theme of the episode. No, I, um, I think you're right. I think you're ultimately right with like what the, the developers are trying to do. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, if you it's just little them, jokes here and there. That. Yeah, like, especially Midtown Cowboys. Like, I don't think that's meant to be, like, a scathing critique of no. <laughs> sitcoms or anything. It's just a, it's just supposed to be, you know, a stupid, bad sitcom. Yeah, if anything, it might be more of a critique of comedy on television in general. Because um, they ask for a script, and the director says, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, the, cow, <laughs> the cow ate the script. It was the only copy. All you need to do is just improv the audience won't know the difference. So maybe get some, get some gross out humor in there. Yeah. Get some gross out humor and Max needs to say the line better use the serious toothpaste and you're, <laughs> you're golden. That's all you need to do. And uh, maybe that's just a knock at improv, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I don't know. The episode was like, it was funny enough for I love Lucy. I could imagine an <laughs> I Love Lucy episode being sort of about that. So maybe, maybe that's just maybe. It, yeah. You know what? 
It's just a funny joke. That's all it is. That's, that one is just a joke. I think the embar- uh, embarrassing idol does seem more pointed. The millionaire does seem more pointed. Midtown Cowboys is nothing. <laughs> That's just a joke. Yeah, Midtown Cowboys is just a joke. Cooking Without Looking is just... Look, this is just a really bad cooking show. They can just make whatever. And look, we have a cake already made at the end through TV magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Even the game show one, like... It never struck me as, like, a point, like, it was going against who wants to be a millionaire. It, it To me, it just kind of struck me as, this is a stupid game show, it's impossible to beat, and you have to beat it to progress, but I feel like it might have just been less, you know... Yeah. Uh, less a critique of who wants to be a millionaire and more just who wants to be a millionaire is the show that's popular right now. Uh, our audience will get it. We're it's, it's just an impossible game show rather that they need to beat rather than like who wants to be a millionaire, you know, just be in the way that it is. But like I said, that could be me not looking into it enough. Or maybe we're both on opposite ends of the spectrum and we need to meet somewhere in the middle on it. No, that would be weird. Uh, <laughs> okay, forget I said it. I was just joking. I was just just making a joke. Uh, I think the reason that I'm sort sort of bent toward thinking about these shows as criticism is because the way they depict Myra's show is definitely criticism. Um, the, the way they depict Myra as a showrunner and a host and the kind of annoyingly uh, self righteous person that she is she she's always like she's acting well the 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 trope that she's pulling on is like a jewish mother in a sitcom uh right you know trying to say like ah did you eat today you look as skinny as a stick sit sit up don't don't slouch don't slouch and you know you should be playing less of those video games your eyes are gonna go blind you know that that sort of that sort of trope uh which right in and of itself is probably tired but it's it's funny i guess but the, yeah. the she uses that to go on rants during her show and, and like i guess the, they're criticizing talk show hosts that use the opportunity of being in front of a large audience to just sort of talk about whatever they want and um be very preachy about it right but and I, I guess that just kind of comes down to sometimes talk show hosts are preachy, and that's maybe Oprah specifically is is preachy. Um, I don't know. I don't remember what the general two thousand six <laughs> consensus about who Oprah was was. Um, I I think I think it's very funny that since this episode is uh so connected to a time in television yeah it's like I I don't remember I don't remember if that's how it was or not it's been so long yeah I mean like I know how people think about Oprah now but Oprah is not even particularly I mean she's definitely still important in the grand scheme of things but I don't know if she's a major player in any kind of entertainment um personality vector anymore Uh, yeah like i haven't heard about what oprah's up to in probably a couple years i remember there was there was talk of maybe she was going to run for vice president or something at one point 
that didn't happen. And interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I doesn't she have like her own channel now or something? Yeah, she does, and I bet like she's probably on TV every day still. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what she's up to or what those shows are like now. People's priorities are just in different places these days, I guess. Yeah, but okay, so mid-2000s Oprah. I remember there was a big deal with she gave everyone in the audience a car. You get a car and you get a car and you get a car. It's it's a meme. Who who could forget? Who could forget? Um, And... Myra, in the context of this episode, does give her audience cars and paid vacations, but she ends up just, like, running out of things to give them the longer they have to stay in the audience, so then she gives them non-dairy creamer, and then someone in the audience (laughs) says, I guess maybe we'll learn to use non-dairy creamer later, (laughs) which is nice, Um, just trying to appease her. Um... (laughs) So in order to get on the Myra show, you need to prove that you're a celebrity that she'd want to interview. And that takes three things. You need to have your own show, thanks to Midtown Cowboys, we do. You need to have a recording contract, thanks to Embarrassing Idol, we do. And you need to be involved in a scandal, which, thanks to that picture of you with the alien, in quotes, you do. Uh, So then you can get on the show... And then you see that she's being hypnotized by a robot teddy bear that she keeps on her desk that was sent to her by what's called the Toy Mafia. You don't learn anything else about that this episode. Uh, and then that's that's pretty much the end of the episode. Do you want to talk about how the, the boss encounter works? I would love to talk about how the boss encounter works. So Sam and Max get roped into Myra's talk show. And they cannot move from this spot. Sam says the laws of physics are different when you're on a talk show. Yeah. They just have, <laughs> they they just have to, uh, you know, follow Myra's will, as it were. Um, you need to somehow get rid of that teddy bear that's hypnotizing her. And it's kind of it's it's like the first episode of Boss Encounter where it's a dialogue based puzzle. You just have to go through different things to say uh in order to make this happen and i honestly think it's a little obtuse well yeah i I don't know i do too i i wrote down that um i don't i don't understand the final answer so there's there's three things on this desk there's yeah the teddy bear you have a sparking microphone and a glass of water um and you've previously broken glass in this episode by singing a really high pitch note in embarrassing idol so you'll know that if you huff the helium and then sing a song that glass of water can break that part is fine but mm. it, it doesn't spread to the the sparking microphone so you need to be you need to get myra to move the microphone onto the sparking water um which she'll only do if she's moving the microphone to another speaker and she'll only bring out the correct speaker if it's a speaker that doesn't have to sit in the chair. Because the, <laughs> if she moves the microphone to the other chair, the microphone will also not be in the water. She needs to have a speaker that comes up to the middle of her desk 
there's only one of those, which is Bessie the cow. So if you yeah. say that she needs to interview Bessie, she puts the microphone in the water, which electrocutes her, and then you win the episode. Good job, everyone. Yeah, good job. We can all go home. We did it. We won. Um, the, the stinger the stinger for this episode is that it pans over her desk and it looks at the box the toy bear came in and it says the I love you no matter what bear from the toy mafia. So that's the that's the hint as to what happens next. Um, yeah, I thought I thought figuring out that Bessie was the only interviewee that put the water in the middle of the table was really awkward and obtuse. It doesn't... I... Yeah. It, it wasn't obvious to me um, how to how to get the microphone into the water. I think you can kind of figure it out just by messing around with it for a little. Because you can have uh, the cow come out and have her move the microphone mm-hmm. before you break the glass and have the water spill everywhere. So... I guess just through experimenting, you can kind of figure out that that will make her move the mic over to that side. But at the same time, I don't know if that doesn't occur to you that she did that, then I can see it being, you know, kind of tricky to figure out. Yeah, but there are a lot of people that you can bring on for her to interview. You can interview Philo Pennyworth, the, the chicken that you're starring in Midtown Cowboys with. You can bring on one of the soda poppers, which is three more options. You can bring on Bessie the cow. I think you can bring on Hugh Bliss. Um, that's everyone. I but like that's that's a lot. That's like six or seven options. And and uh, if you're just supposed to figure it out via experimentation, then that'll take a long time to get through all of the options. Um, but yeah, I guess there is some sort of logic and. The fact that the cow would not sit in the chair. Right. Yeah, you see her move the microphone for Bessie. So, I don't know. I, I, I get where it's coming from. It, it is a little... Cu- I think the fact that you have so many different people you can call onto the stage doesn't really help it out that much. Because you, you can experiment and figure out that she moves the microphone for the cow. But you're going to have to go through, like, everyone to see if there's, like, any differences between them. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I don't know. I, I just thought this episode was was uh, thinner than the last episode for sure. Because I was thinking about all of the new lighting stuff that they added in the last episode. They added a lot of cool lighting stuff in this episode too. But the, the context of the lighting things that they had to add in the last episode were like, it was different times of day. And you were going into dreamscapes. And you were visiting areas repeatedly but they were a little bit differently this uh they were acting a little differently this time and in this episode you just kind of just go to the places you need to go once each and then they're done and then uh that that is the the scope of the episode it's just not nearly as big um but i i think that's fine this is definitely the i think it's going to prove to be the smallest episode in the season um, in that regard, and probably the shortest as well. I would not be surprised if it was the shortest once we're finished with all these. Um, currently, uh, I, I said this before, but I'll, I'll reiterate, just 
I, I think that it's a step down from the first episode and I'd like to see us return um, to to that sort of grandeur of the adventure. I feel you, but at the same time, I also feel like... I don't know. I feel like there's not really a problem with an episode being a little smaller. Like, you have six episodes. Obviously, they're going to kind of vary in terms of how big the episode is. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's fine to have a part of the story that's a little smaller than the other parts. I think so, too. And I think it's definitely fine in the context of the remaster. Um yeah, when I, you're playing all of them together. Yeah, when you're playing all of them together and each chapter is just sort of like, oh, well, today I'll play this chapter and then it doesn't need to be anything. I can imagine at the time after two months, wait, waiting two months uh, since the first episode, getting this episode and seeing how short it is might have been a disappointment. Um, but I that that is only speculation. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't like completely hate this episode, though. I think there's some nice stuff. Uh, what you said before about this episode being funnier in general, I I think is absolutely true. Um, Yeah, I think that's, that's what makes me like it more is it just has so many funny lines in this one. Yeah, it it has a lot. Speaking of, let's get into our segments. Okay, that sounds pretty good to me. Segment number one, potent pickups. Potent pickups is where we talk about our favorite inventory items in the episode. Dustin... What was your potent pickup? So this is a little tough since um, we were talking about it before the show. This episode doesn't have a whole lot of very memorable uh, pickups that you like use a whole lot. They're not bad pickups, but none of them really stood out to me that much. So I guess I'm going to say my favorite was the cake because I kind of like the idea that you make this cake. It doesn't matter what you put in it. No, it doesn't you, you can matter just, at all. You can, yeah, you can just go crazy with this cake, which is kind of fun in its own right. Um, each cake is personalized. <laughs> but then I I like the idea of bringing it over to Bosco's and putting the ketchup on it. I guess I when I was doing that first episode, I remembered thinking, um, remember these condiments are here. I bet you can use them for something. And then you don't. But I like that that sort of thinking can be carried over throughout the other episodes because they're not used in the first episode, but they are used here. You use the ketchup to put it on Wizard's Cake. And I just think that's a uh, a fun idea. Even if the pickup itself is very situational, you only use it for the one puzzle. I think that, you know, I think being able to just make the cake however you want it and then being able to take it somewhere and change it again makes it uh, a fun pickup. Yeah, I, I think that each of the um, little things in, in the background of Sybils and Bosco's in the office, um, probably in in the course of the season, all have a use. And that's great because you're always thinking about them, but it never feels like a Chekhov's gun, which is probably good writing, but bad game design because if you know you have to solve a puzzle and all you have is a bowling ball the solution is use the bowling ball on the thing so you don't want it to feel that way but now like with this there's condiments in the first episode and every episode after this but you use them now like and you probably won't use them again i don't remember um so that stuff is really cool i I agree with that um that's not mine though my (laughs) what is yours is peeper's lyrics 
Um, we didn't talk. About I peepers. almost said that one. Yeah, uh, I almost said the cake too, though. So we're 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 close. We kind of flip flopped. Yeah, we're kind of flippy floppy. We're on similar yet different wavelengths. So we didn't talk about peepers, but he also auditions for um, embarrassing idol, and he has a song that goes, "Am I blue? Who are you?" Can I fly? And he sings it very well, and he hits that high note, and Specs likes that he hits the high note. But if you take those lyrics, he has them written down on little cue cards, and you swap them for the question cards and who's never going to be a millionaire, Hugh Bliss now asks questions that are easy instead of hard, like, am I blue, who are you, and can I fly? Um, if you are read, am I blue... And, by the way, you can change Hugh Bliss's colors, so, like, yeah, he can be. All you have to do is say <laughs> yes. And then uh, you win that game. And I, I like that puzzle, so I like that item. Um, I also like that puzzle. I like that it ties into uh, Hugh Bliss being able to change colors. Mm-hmm. And he can turn lots of different colors, not just blue. Well, I think he can turn into, like, a couple other colors. But Yeah, he can turn the fact into that, red, that... green, and blue. Yeah, the fact that that is part of the puzzle on its own adds to it a lot, and I think it's a, I think it's a fun little thing. And uh, this is the secret middle segment between our two segments. It's a third segment. Dustin, I'd like to hear you, your voice. Can you do a Hugh Bliss impression? A Hugh Bliss impression? I guess I could. This is the segment I something... don't write in the show notes, <laughs> so I get to take Dustin off guard. I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, so let's see. Mr. Hugh Bliss himself. Uh, he says something along the lines of, hi, I'm Hugh Bliss. That's really good, Dustin. That was really oh. great. <laughs> it's just something I do. <laughs> Hugh Bliss impressions. Just something I kind of perfected over the years. Yeah, this this secret um, sort of sabotage segment that i've added is not doing any sabotaging dustin you're you're just acing him oh stop you flatter me yeah i think in the fake first episode of this that we recorded oops we're not supposed to mention that but it's fine oops uh, we we did another one where dustin you did the voice of wizard and it was really great unfortunately that didn't make it to air we had to edit it out but uh it was good stuff i liked it i'm sorry everyone but you got you got to hear hugh bliss at least yeah uh, our actual second segment is linguistic gymnastics, which we gotta find a better name for. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of attached to it now. Yeah, I am too. But like, that's the <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> like, if you say anything enough, you'll you'll think it's not as bad. Uh, you can't name it, or else you'll get attached to it. Yeah, linguistic gymnastics is, of course, where we talk about our favorite dialogue lines in the op- uh, the episode. Dustin, you said you had a bunch. I do have a bunch. There, there's quite a few lines in this episode that I just love. But um, I'm I'm gonna narrow it down to three. Um, the first one is when. Uh, Sam is talking to Sybil and Sam wants her to psycho- psychoanalyze him again for old time's sake and um, when Sam asks for the psychoanalysis she says you're selectively audio averse and Sam says I don't like the sound of that 
That's good. <laughs> There's nothing more to it than that. He just he doesn't like the sound of it. Um, my second favorite line. I totally forgot about this line, but it cracked me up when I was going through the episode again. Um, it's it's when the director is telling Sam and Max about the plot to Mid- Midtown Cowboys. Um, you know they're watching a herd of cows. But uh, Mr. Featherly does not want them to have cows in his apartment. Right. So they he's he's always sneaking in at random moments. And so Max responds with, I begin to see from whence the hilarity sprouts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good uh, next line. That, that gets me just saying it. <laughs> um, but the next one was my favorite one. I had this one picked out from l- last week even. Okay. And... Thinking about it, I think that one I just said might be a little funnier, but this one just killed me when I heard... I forgot all about it until I played the remaster. It's when they're auditioning to be on Midtown Cowboys, and the director, uh, she says, I'm going to have you play a scene from Old Yeller. Please tell me you've seen it. And Sam responds with, I'm not into horror movies. That's good. It's a good dog joke. (laughs) It's just a dog joke. (laughs) <laughs> just one of those dog jokes <laughs> oh oh that's a hoot and a holler let let me know what your favorite lines are mitch is that your favorite one for real <laughs> it just really makes me laugh <laughs> she asks if he's seen old yeller and he says i'm not into horror movies to sam old yeller is a horror movie and that makes me laugh really hard <laughs> for listeners out there i need to i need to clarify something Right after we recorded the first episode of this podcast, Dustin messaged me and said, I know exactly what my favorite line from the second episode is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I, he's been sitting on it. He wouldn't tell me even. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if it's a letdown, but it really made me laugh. And I think about it more often than I should probably. No, that's great. <laughs> it, just, it just says a lot about Sam's character. Um, my favorite lines. Okay, I have a few little things that, uh, I guess aren't even lines, but just, like, little, little, uh, asides that characters make. Um, Sam asks where Diploma Mill College is, because that's where Sybil's diploma is from, and she says it's, uh, in Battle Creek, Michigan. And that's not a joke, and that's just a place, but I think that's funny. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a non-joke, which is what makes it funny. Battle Creek, Michigan is a place that Jeff and I have talked about before, our mutual friend Jeff. So to me, that is funny. Um, (laughs) Bosco is, uh, from now on, he'll be a different, he'll be in a different uh, disguise every episode. This week's disguise is Sir Reginald Rumplebottle. No, let me read this again. (laughs) Sir Reginald Rumplebottom, Earl of Dukedom III. Uh, so that's just a funny name for a thing. What a name. Um, when, when the director is explaining the show of Midtown Cowboys to Sam and Max, she explains, Mr. Featherly has a strict no cows policy. And that, that got me. Um, <laughs> why, why is it only cows that are? Yeah, <laughs> only cows. Uh, oh, during the actual taping of midtown cowboys mr featherly says open up in there i know you're hiding a cow and that that's good 
<laughs> I know you're hiding a cow. Uh, what what tipped him off? <laughs> uh, Hugh Bliss describing emetics in ten words. Prismatology is the answer. Unicorns are pretty and rainbows too. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> Max's idea of a fun uh, talk show story is. I was battering this purse snatcher with a broken parking meter, yelling, Die! Why won't you die? And then Sam said, You crack me up, little buddy. And then no one in the audience says anything, and Max is like, Yeah, I rest my case. This is a pretty good story. Uh, (laughs) But probably my favorite line in the whole episode is just the lyric in the theme song of Midtown Cowboys, They're probably hiding a cow. Uh, That is my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we... Yeah, we already went into why that line is so funny, but it is very funny. Since I've played this episode, and I, and I as I said earlier, I, I don't, I didn't often replay this episode, um, but I only needed to play it one time in order for do 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 do. They're probably hiding a cow to get stuck in my head for uh, over a decade. <laughs> a, good job, Telltale Games. Yeah, a good amount of time there has has passed with. <laughs> Just, I'm thinking of a song sometime, and then I'll think, like, what are the rest of the lyrics to that song? And I go, oh, no, 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 There's no other <laughs> that's lyrics it. to that song. It's just, they're <laughs> probably hiding a cow, and that's the song. Sold. I am ready to watch <laughs> this show. Uh, Dustin, where can the audience find you? Audience, if you want, if you look real hard, you can find me at Twitter at AmazingDJDustin. That's my Twitter handle. So look for me there. Keep your eyes open and you might see me uh, prancing about. Uh, Twitter audience, again, you can find me at the Wolf FM. That's T-H-E-W-O-L-F-E-F-M. You'll know me because I talk about things like, uh, you know. And in the next episode of the show, we'll be diving into the third episode of Sam and Max Save the World, which is... Sam and Max Save the World, Episode 3, The Mole, The Mob, The Mole, The Mob, and The Meatball. I'm having a bad reading day. That's okay, Mitch. You know how much I love the letter M, so I am very much looking forward to this next episode. Sounds good. Well, I'll see you then. Goodbye! Goodbye!